Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I'm a sudden death advocate. I'm a traditionalist. I don't fear sudden death, and I never have. Uh, but obviously, I lost that battle a decade ago. <laughs> but my position remains unchanged. <laughs> I am one of the few sudden death advocates, I would imagine. I just think 60 minutes, everybody has had a fair opportunity to win the game. And, and so, you know, when you're talking about changes as it pertains to competitive fairness, I speak to the first 60 minutes that we all had to win the game. <laughs> All right, Mike Tomlin, I'll take you up on that. Next time you win the toss to start overtime, elect to kick. Will you elect to kick if you're not afraid of sudden death? Let's see you kick. Shereen, that's the big flaw in all of this. Nobody ever chooses to kick other than Marty Morningweg. So I don't want to hear that. I want people who can set aside their own personal interests and preferences and do what's in the best interest of the game. Not my best interest, not your best interest, the game's best interest, in the best interest of the game to have a fair outcome. To resolve over time. All right, but I'm getting heated and just getting started. It's PFTPM. Shireen is down in Florida for the league meetings. I, as you can tell by the very authentic-looking fake brick behind me, am not. And I'm very happy about that, although I miss seeing Shireen in person. Shireen, how are you? I am good. We're having a good time down here and uh, lots of news today, Mike, as there always is, whether we're in Palm Beach or elsewhere, but lots of news today. Can they not figure out what the breakfast is now? It's not really breakfast. Yeah, it's not really a press yeah. conference. So it's kind of like breakfast conference, press breakfast. It just seemed odd today to have podiums. It used to be, you know, the table yeah. with Belichick drinking his orange juice. And I, I always thought it was odd to expect that anybody would go in and actually eat anything when you're talking the entire time. <laughs> but it feels like they're trying to morph it into something that's less casual more formal, more like a normal press conference. Well, and we cut it down to 30 minutes, too. That's the other thing, Mike. It was really shortened, and the coaches hated it. It was so loud in there. I started with Andy Reid, and Andy said, oh, well, isn't this a great setup? And everybody kind of laughed, but you really and truly couldn't hear him. And then I went over to Belichick, and I was standing probably three or four or five feet. I was definitely in COVID distance to him. And I couldn't hear him. I couldn't hear a word he said. And I had my tape recorder up there and I could sort of kind of hear it on the tape recorder, but you just couldn't hear him. And finally, a bunch of coaches, Frank Reich and, and Sean McDermott, they just headed outside. They just took their, they said, we're going outside. We can't hear. And they just stood up on the steps and did it outside. So yeah, it was not a good setup. They complained about it. I'll be interested to see tomorrow if they change it for the NFC coaches. And I'm betting they won't, but they should. And they used to spread this out. It used to be a little bit longer. It used to be there was one coach's breakfast Tuesday, one Wednesday. Now they basically have everyone fly in, take care of business, and get the hell out. And this year it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of business that needs to be taken care of. So I figure by tomorrow afternoon at this time, most people will be gone. Yeah, yeah I think this will be done. That's what we're debating today on the, on the drive back to the hotel, whether – it was going to be done tomorrow or whether it would be done Wednesday. And if it goes into Wednesday, I imagine they'll be wrapped up by noon and all the oligarchs will be on their private planes and headed home by noon tomorrow. By the time it got to Wednesday morning, the last time I was there, it just felt like it was ghost town by lunchtime. All of this intense activity that unfolds in a very compressed period of time, then it's over. But it does feel like they try to compress it even more. And in a year like this where there isn't much on the – rulemaking or rule revising agenda it shouldn't seem to take a whole lot of time for them to get this done and everyone get going we've got less than an hour to get you up to speed on everything that happened today let's begin with one of the biggest stories right now in the nfl i think the two biggest names currently as it relates to potential expected possible transactions browns quarterback baker mayfield 
49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. John Lynch, the GM of the 49ers, speaking to reporters today, said he doesn't foresee a scenario where we cut Jimmy Garoppolo. I think we're fortunate that we have three quarterbacks we believe in, in Trey, Jimmy, and Nate Sudfeld. They gave Nate Sudfeld $2 million fully guaranteed this year. A lot of people interpreted that as the clearest indication yet they'd be moving on from Jimmy G. But then again, what's $2 million as backup quarterbacks go? It's really not that much, guaranteed or not. I really think there's a chance, Shireen, that they keep Jimmy Garoppolo simply because they blew their window to trade him and they don't want to admit that they blew it, so they're just going to keep him and pay the $25 million and lump it. And if they do it, I think it'll be a mistake. It's an example of ego overcoming good business because that $25 million could go to Nick Bosa and or Debo Samuel. Why do you want to keep this guy around? And they have to be upset that he went and got this shoulder surgery and didn't even tell them. And the shoulder surgery is what's slowing everything down. I, I think that it's gamesmanship. I think they're hoping yeah. that they get an opportunity to offload him. His salary doesn't guarantee until a few days before week one. So they have time. But I think they'd be better off unloading that cap charge and reinvesting that money in other players. What say you? Well, the problem I see with this, and it's the same scenario that Cleveland faces, that if you cut Jimmy Garoppolo, there is a chance that the Seattle Seahawks end up with Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's what you don't want if you're the 49ers. You don't want to have to face him. He would make the Seahawks better based on what they have at the quarterback position right now. And it's the same with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. I don't think they can cut him because they don't want to see him end up in Pittsburgh. But here they sit, and John Lynch said they have not really gotten an offer, a a firm offer from anybody. And the reports that they had two second-round picks lined up, he said was false. He said they have not gotten any Baloney, that's my report. Hey, don't poop on my report, Shereen. He was telling people he had two second-round picks. Doesn't mean he had them, but he was telling people that to try to get the one second-round pick because he was told, frankly, if you got two second-round picks, you probably should take it. Sorry to interrupt you. Just want to make sure. And and he should have taken – if he got that, he should have taken it. I mean, you're right. They blew it by not taking what they could get at the time and trying to make these teams negotiate up. And now, as he says, he admitted today, most of the teams that were interested in Jimmy Garoppolo have filled that position. They're not interested in Jimmy Garoppolo anymore. So that's the that's the problem they face now, Mike, is they probably are going to have to carry him on their roster and wait for somebody to get hurt and hope that they can trade him training camp or whatever whenever that arm is good enough to, to be able to throw. And that's not going to be till training camp. So they're not nobody's going to trade for him before training camp. There's no question about that. They want to see him throw. I mean, we saw what happened with Andrew Luck a few years ago. You want to make sure this guy's going to come back one year left on his deal. You're not going to trade for a guy who might end up not even playing for this season. So I think he is on the roster. They hope somebody gets hurt. They can trade him then and get rid of him. And you're right, use that money to, to negotiate it with the, some of these guys. They need to sign to long-term deals. Control room, could we please, I said please, put the graphic back up that we just had. I want to make a point here as it relates to how crazy the past three weeks have been. Three weeks ago today, 21 days ago, none of those moves have happened. None of them. None of them. We didn't know any of them. It was the next day that Russell Wilson tentatively was traded to the Broncos after Aaron Rodgers announced he was going to stay with the Packers. And then came Carson Wentz going from the Colts to Washington. Then Deshaun Watson happened 10 days ago. Then a week ago, Matt Ryan goes to the Colts. And it was Matt Ryan to the Colts that I think took the most obvious seat for Jimmy G. Because he would have been the perfect chaser to Carson Wentz. Basically, similar skill level, although I think Carson Wentz is better if you can get him to iron out some of the dumb. Then again, you got to iron out some of the dumb, no offense intended, (laughs) with Jimmy Garoppolo. But at least... The teammates like him. At least he's coachable. At least he tries. At least he listens. At least he doesn't come off as entitled and know-it-all. And sorry, Carson, but that's the reporting. It's your chance to prove everybody wrong with Washington this year. So Indy felt like the spot. At one point, I thought they were going to find out that there was a bidding war for Jimmy G because the Saints – we're linked to him. The Steelers maybe we're in on it, but then the Steelers go Trubisky. The Saints keep Jameis Winston after they don't get Deshaun Watson. The Colts get Matt Ryan, and there's no seats left. The music stops, yeah. and the 49ers are left holding 
the bag. They got Jimmy G. And John Lynch's only way out at this point is to take the number one analyst job at Fox, which may be looking pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I mean, you look at that hit they're taking, 26.95, right, against the cap this year? That, that's a lot of money for what you hope is going to be your backup quarterback. I mean, if he's your starter, then you failed with Trey Lance as the number three overall pick last year. That was your plan all along was to start Trey Lance this season. And that's still the plan. And if Jimmy Garoppolo somehow ends up as your starter, then you failed in the draft. You failed to trade him. It was a complete failure because then you didn't even need to draft Trey Lance and Jimmy G's in the final year of his contract. Basically, what I'm saying is they have a mess on their hands unless Trey Lance starts and becomes the guy that they want to be. Nobody's going to remember whether Jimmy G's on the roster or not if Trey Lance plays like they think he's going to play, what they use the number three pick for. But if he's not, they're in a world of hurt with Jimmy Garoppolo still on the roster, and perhaps they do what the Dolphins did two years ago, pull Tua in, take Tua out, pull Tua in, Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in to save the day, who's starting the next week. You don't want that with Trey Lance. You want Trey Lance to be your starter, not looking over his shoulder. It's his job to to win and to keep and to, and to lead the 49ers where they think they can go with them. The key is that if and when Garoppolo is traded or cut, because he's in the last year of his contract, he leaves only $1.4 million behind yeah. in dead money. It's another $25 million that disappears. And that's the difference between the 49ers and the Browns. The Browns are still strapped with $18.8 million, less whatever Baker Mayfield would make somewhere else. Let's say the league minimum for his yeah. skill level of $1.035. They're still paying seventeen seven and change to Baker Mayfield. 49ers pull off the Band-Aid. Garoppolo's gone. The financial obligation is gone. And, and again, it doesn't vest as guaranteed until week one. That said, that said, if he practices, if he gets injured, you can't cut him. Suffers a serious injury. At a minimum, you have an injury grievance as to when he'd be healthy. You're playing poker here. You're playing a, a, a deadly game. When it comes to your cap dollars for a guy that you ideally don't want to be your starter. The other side of it, too, is and no one knows the truth here other than Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Do they really think Trey Lance is ready? Is this all just a charade? Are they just buying time because they're not sure that Trey Lance is ready? So there's people who wonder about Trey Lance as much as they wonder about Jordan Love. Are these guys really ready? And if Lance isn't ready, then, yeah, you keep him. And I remember Jed York saying last year that if they have to keep Jimmy Garoppolo for two years, if they invest $50 million total in the development of Trey Lance, so be it. But still, that's money that could be devoted. I mean, that's more than 10%. It's like 12 13% of your total salary cap. That money could be used to sign Nick Bosa. That's not going to be easy. He's going to want $29, 30000000 million a year. Debo Samuel, after the... Devontae Adams contract and the Tyreek Hill contract. What do you think Debo Samuel is going to want? Yeah. The sooner they get rid of that $25 million, the better. And they're playing a game that Jimmy G won't get injured or that a quarterback elsewhere will get injured. Well, newsflash, other than Jimmy G and Carson Wentz, quarterbacks don't get hurt. They're going to be waiting a long time for somebody to tear an ACL. It doesn't happen. They're in bubble wrap at practice. Now, there's always a chance for something fluke. But they're not hitting. They're not getting hit. They're not in the same kind of physical danger as other players. So I understand the theory. At some point, though, you just got to remove the Band-Aid and move on. Accept the fact that this is just part of the cost of the trade you made. For the 49ers, it's part of the cost of the trade you made last year. For the Browns, it's part of the cost of the trade you made this year. At some point, you just got to accept it and you got to move on. I think they should both just move on. Well, and the good thing for the 49ers that they do end up keeping him is he's not Baker. Like, he's not going to cause problems as a backup quarterback. He would be fine as your backup quarterback. But for me, if I'm the coach, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I don't want Trey Lance to have Jimmy Garoppolo behind him. I want Trey Lance to know it's his job. We totally believe in you. We're not going to pull you out of a game. If you're struggling at halftime, You've got to figure it out in the second half and go win this game. We believe you can do that. So 
I wouldn't want him on my roster for that simple reason. I drafted him third overall for a reason. I thought by the second year that he's in the league, he could be my starting quarterback. So it's his time. And Jimmy Garoppolo at that February 1st news conference, which was his last news conference talking to the media, he sounded like he was saying goodbye. The 49ers have sounded like they were saying goodbye to Jimmy Garoppolo. They waited too long. Now they have him. Now he's had shoulder surgery. Now who knows how this ends up. But this is not the scenario I don't think that anyone envisioned. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers, or anyone. I really feel like at the end of the day, and the 49ers have found their way out of the dysfunction that they were dealing with after they fired or mutually parted ways with Jim Harbaugh. Then they went to Jim Tom Sula, which was a mistake from the get-go. Then Chip Kelly, which was a mistake from the get-go. And it got so bad, Jed York at one point said, well, you can't fire the owner, although most of the fans would have loved to have done it. They have really dug out of that dysfunction. But I feel like, and I'm sorry if you find this annoying, Kyle Shanahan, not that you're listening or watching, but I know he, he loves some of our headlines and some of our takes. I feel like at some level, this is about CYA, and this is about yeah. how things look not about making the best decisions for the football team. Like, you know, we gave up all that to go get Trey Lance, and we can't put him on the field until we know he's ready. And we got Jimmy Garoppolo, and we kind of overplayed our hand when we could have traded him, and now we got to keep him. And it just, it just doesn't feel like there's a cohesive thread to the decision-making process. Just like in Cleveland, it didn't feel like there was a cohesive thread. Yeah, agree with you, Mike. And both of those teams now are sitting with quarterbacks, and – all the quarterback jobs are, are mostly taken, and we'll see what happens. Maybe the draft comes and the, the Seahawks or somebody doesn't get who they want, or maybe Drew Locke looks terrible, and I still can't believe that he's going to be their starting quarterback on day one. Perhaps in the offseason program, he doesn't do what they think, and maybe one of those teams then comes back to the table and says, hey, we'll give you a low-round draft pick. I think at this point, they take anything for those quarterbacks. Both teams. I'm glad you mentioned the draft. Sims and I talked about that today. That's the next data point. That's the next decision point where teams that are looking for quarterbacks will either get them or not get them. And that's when the door may swing open for Baker Mayfield being traded to the Seahawks, Jimmy Garoppolo being traded to the Texans. But still, look, both of these guys, and I'm sorry to make this about Baker too, but I think there's strong similarities here. If there's going to be a trade, both of these guys have significant power because even without a no trade clause, I've said this for a year now, no trade clause for a quarterback is overrated because nobody's trading for a starting quarterback who doesn't want to be there. What, what, what would you be thinking to say to a guy, we know you don't want to live here. We know you don't want to work here. We know you don't want to be a part of this team, but we're going to trade for you anyway and make you the most important player in our organization. And you'll come around. They just don't do it. The bears backed off of Carson Wentz last year. They were interested in him. He wasn't interested in them. You're not going to do it. So when you're Baker Mayfield and you hold all the cards, $18.8 million fully guaranteed, when you're Jimmy G with a $25 million salary that, hey, I'm no, I'm, why should I renegotiate? Why should I extend? Why should I do anything? It makes it very hard to trade them. So for the 49ers, their only play may be to keep him and say, yeah, we plan to keep him all along. For the Browns, I don't know what the hell they do. I don't know what they do. I don't know if you yeah. do a Brock Osweiler deal where you send a draft pick just to make sure he doesn't end up, end up in Pittsburgh. I don't know what you That's do. It. But if they cut yeah. him, he's going straight to Pittsburgh, and it's going to be a disaster, I believe, for the Browns. I think they have to do the Brock Osweiler thing. They have to give him away. Draft picks, money, whatever it takes, that's what you have to do because you cannot cut him and let him go to Pittsburgh because I absolutely think that's where he would head, and I would think the Steelers would be interested in him. Oh, he's clearly better than Mitchell Trubisky. He's had two good years, two bad years. And last year, he was, look, arrow pointing up in line for a big contract. Yeah. Week two, what's he do? Goes and makes a tackle after he throws an interception because he got pissed off. And he messes up his shoulder. And he spent the whole year trying to overcome that shoulder injury. And kudos to him. Seriously, I'm not, no sarcasm here. And the harder I try to sell that, it seems more sarcastic. But I'm not being sarcastic. Good for him that he played through it. Bad for him that he put himself in the position that he injured himself, but good for him that he toughed it out. All the more reason for him to do nothing to help the Browns. Nothing. Hey, how about a trade to the Seahawks? No. How about a trade to the Falcons? No. How about a trade? No. He'll sound like Rocky. Cut me. Cut me. Cut me, Mick. Cut me, Mick. And eventually he gets cut and he goes to Pittsburgh. And, you know, they're going to clear $18.8 million whenever they do that. So a mess for both teams. A mess. But you got to acknowledge at some point, Shireen, and then we got to move on. 
But you got to acknowledge, if you're these teams, this is part of the price you pay to go get the quarterback that you think is going to be your future. At least the Browns know they got a guy who can play. I don't think the 49ers know what they have yet. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Mike. I mean, you haven't seen enough of Trey Lance. The sample size is way too small to know. And I know they've seen him in practice, obviously, and they believe in him, and they spent enough to go up to trade for him third overall to think that he was going to be their franchise quarterback. But to get him out there, you just don't know. We've seen a lot of top five quarterbacks fail, and he could be one. You just don't know what you have in him. The Browns do know that they've upgraded eventually they that's the move they may have to make they just may have to cut him and and if he goes to pittsburgh he goes to pittsburgh that's that's the price to do a business you could have kept him and you felt like you were upgrading your quarterback position all right the browns were involved in a trade that is kind of the reverse of what they're currently dealing with they got a guy that a team no longer wanted to pay, that a team no longer wanted around. The Cowboys decided to move on from Amari Cooper after two years of a five-year, $100 million contract. It's another reminder not to listen to those numbers <laughs> yeah. that come out during free agency. It was two years, $40 million, and then they couldn't get rid of him fast enough. He goes to Cleveland for a fifth and a sixth round pick. Jerry Jones addressing the decision to trade Cooper today, telling reporters they decided that the allocation that would be devoted to Cooper – should be better spent elsewhere. Of course. I mean, look, the moment they made C.D. Lamb a first-round draft pick, I knew where this was going. They're going to keep Michael Gallup. They're going to keep C.D. Lamb. They're going to move on from Amari Cooper. I- I'm surprised they got value for him. I'm surprised the Browns were willing to take on that $20 million obligation. But because they could get him for only a fifth and sixth-round pick, it was worth it to them. So th- this is this is something that makes perfect sense, especially in an NFL, Shireen, where every year, there are more and more receivers, just like running backs were. Receivers are becoming yeah. that way. You can find them anywhere, and it's hard to justify spending $20 million on any one receiver. Well, Mike, last year he had the highest salary and the highest salary cap number of any receiver in the NFL. He did not play like that at all. Tied for 39th in receptions, 34th in receiving yards, and tied for 37th in points by non-kickers. He just wasn't good enough. He wasn't even the number one receiver on his team. The number one receiver on their team was CeeDee Lamb. So it was time for them to move on from Amari Cooper. Now, they intended to use that money to re-sign Michael Gallup and Cedric Wilson. Wilson ended up getting too much, so he left for the Dolphins. They didn't re-sign him, but they did get James Washington and feel like they are as good at that position as they were with Amari Cooper, which goes back to something that you've written about that the Cowboys originally shouldn't have given up the first-round draft pick to trade for Amari Cooper, which now I think they've spent five first-round draft picks trading for receivers. If you go back to the Joey Galloway, then the Roy Williams, and then the Amari Cooper, eventually maybe they'll learn their lesson that you don't give up first-round picks for receivers. Don't do it. Is Jerry Jones really trying 24 years later to make up for the fact that he didn't take Randy Moss? Is that is that what drives yes, all of this, probably. Shireen? Yes. And he regrets it. He calls it still one of his biggest regrets. Yeah. Well, imagine what Randy Moss would have done as a member of the Dallas Cowboys in the latter years of Troy Aikman. And uh, now after Troy Aikman, it would have gotten interesting, but uh, 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 it would have been something if he was a Cowboy. All right. Mike Tomlin, Steelers head coach, a team that has three quarterbacks on the roster in Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. He said today he's comfortable with that trio, but not opposed to adding to the room, I'm comfortable with the talent we have at the position now. That's not saying I'm not open to add to it as we move forward. I also think yesterday he was interviewed by the team's official yeah. website and even made the comment about drafting a quarterback. Not that that would surprise anyone, but usually the Steelers keep their cards closer to the vest. Look, I won't be surprised if they draft somebody with a 20th overall pick. I won't be surprised if they trade up. They've traded up in the past for guys they like, like Troy Polamalos, Antonio Holmes, and Devin Bush. I won't be surprised by anything the Steelers do, but – They may want to wait and see what happens with Baker Mayfield before they make a move in the draft because I still think that Baker and the Steelers are destined to get together, and why would you hesitate? As we've already discussed, but if you're the Steelers, if you can get any upgrade to Trubisky, Rudolph, and Haskins, of course you need to consider it. Yeah, and Mike, I was there for for Tomlin, and I asked him that question about you've had this – you know, quarterback continuity for so long since you drafted Ben Roethlisberger. And he really said that he was energized 
by the anxiety of, of not knowing who the quarterback was going to be and, and was kind of refreshed by getting to go see some of these young quarterbacks. You know, they've been at the pro days of all the top quarterbacks, and he said, we understand the speculation that goes with that, but we aren't trying to hide anything. Yes, we're interested in possibly drafting a quarterback. And so if they don't get Baker Mayfield, I do think they end up drafting one of these. He talked again today about the, the uh, about having a, ver a uh, versatile quarterback who could run some, somebody like Josh Allen. You look at the draft, you, you think, yeah, Mal Malik Willis is probably the guy there who you think that would fit in with the Steelers perfectly. So we'll see what they do, but I'm with you. I, I think if Baker Mayfield comes free, and maybe the Browns hold on to him until after the draft, but if he comes free, I, I think he's going to end up in Pittsburgh, and they use that first-round pick on a different position than quarterback because then you would have your choice. You'd have a lot of quarterbacks potentially – who could help you and hopefully you hit on one of those if you're the Steelers, whether it's Trubisky, whether it's Mayfield, whether it's Haskins, whether it's Rudolph, I don't think it's Rudolph, but maybe you hit on one of those guys, Mike, and have your quarterback of the future without using a draft pick on one. Here is a list of names that will be familiar to Steelers fans and may cause nightmares. Bear with me. It takes a little while. Cliff Stout, Mark Malone, David Woodley, Scott Campbell, Bubby Brister, Steve Bono, Todd Blackledge, Neil O'Donnell, Mike Tomzak, Jim Miller, Cordell Stewart, Kent Graham, Tommy Maddox. Those are all the quarterbacks the Steelers had between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger. And somehow they made it to a Super Bowl with that group. Somehow they made it to the Super Bowl. And they made it to the playoffs multiple times in those 20 years. How much better would they have been? Tony Dungy tells the story about how they were interested in Dan Marino, but, uh, you know, Terry Bradshaw's still here, and it may be awkward. Bradshaw played in one more game in his career after Dan Marino wasn't drafted by the Steelers and went to the Dolphins instead, and what a difference that would have been. They would have passed from Bradshaw to Marino and then maybe Roethlisberger a couple of years after yeah. that, but uh, they, they can't go 20 years. They can't allow that to happen they've got to find their next guy within the next three or four years they can't they can't patch it together the way they did for for two full decades Shereen well and he was Mike Tomlin was asked today too Mike about why they didn't consider a trade for a Russell Wilson or whoever and, and he said that's just not the way we do business so they're not going to give up all those picks we know they love their draft picks they're going to hold on to those draft picks but you're right they can't go 20 years. They need to find a quarterback, and they need to find a quarterback this year, whether that's Baker Mayfield or whether that's somebody in the draft that they really fall in love with. But they need to find that quarterback and, and get that quarterback in there and figure out if that is their franchise quarterback and not keep changing quarterbacks. You see what the Colts are going through. The Colts are getting bridge quarterbacks every, every year now since Andrew Luck retired, and that's really not a good way to do business. No, and the Colts have to really bottom out before they go out and draft one. That's the thing. Their team is good enough that they have to go from this guy to this guy to this guy to this guy, and it may work with Matt Ryan. I just think that the whole Baker Mayfield thing would be so beautiful. It would make up for potentially, and I don't know what Baker Mayfield's going to be, but remember the Steelers once upon a time had Johnny Unitas on the roster, and they got rid of him, and he became one of the all-time greats, and they're still trying to live that down 50 years later. So if they could pick up a guy – who was supposed to be the long-term franchise answer in Cleveland and make him into, and think about all the guys over the years that Mike Tomlin has managed to get through to, the difficult personalities that he has managed to yeah. speak to the better angels of. Wouldn't it be something if Mayfield and Tomlin become the ultimate combination? Mayfield highly motivated to stick it to the Browns, Tomlin highly motivated to take a guy who was cast overboard and turn him into a franchise quarterback. I love a good story, Shereen. I can't think of a better story than that. Oh, I was talking to some Steelers reporters today, and I said that would be the best scenario we have left for this offseason is Baker Mayfield to Pittsburgh because I think it would be delicious to go into next season with Baker starting for the Steelers, playing against the Browns, and perhaps maybe Deshaun Watson, maybe not Deshaun Watson, which might even be better if Deshaun Watson isn't playing for the Browns. I still, I still, despite the Steelers' angle, I'm still kind of rooting for the Lions to get him. Let's take a break. When we return, the Lions are going to be very visible 
in the coming months. And it would be even better if Baker Mayfield was on the team. We'll tell you why when PFT PM continues right after this. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair as you watch the world go by. Good afternoon. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. The NFL made a fairly early announcement today as to the future of Hard Knocks. The team this summer will be the Detroit Lions. There he is, getting ready to grab some kneecaps and take a big old bite. Dan Campbell and the Lions, all the more reason to have Baker Mayfield. Hard Knocks, Detroit Lions coming in August and coming April of 2024. We now know the next three draft locations, obviously Las Vegas next month. Cleveland, not Cleveland. Who has it next year? Kansas City. Kansas City. Kansas City City next year. And then Detroit in 2024. Both were announced this morning at the league meetings. Detroit, the focus of Hard Knocks, and the host of the 2024 draft. So the Lions getting so much needed attention as they try to turn their team around. And look, I like the idea that they kind of have that throwback mentality. They pick up the extra draft picks for the Jared Goff. Matthew Stafford, hot potato trade, at least as it relates to Goff's contract. As long as they're given enough time to get enough players to do what Dan Campbell is looking for, it could work. Oh, well, you know how I feel about Dan Campbell, Mike. The the Aggie, we go way back uh, with him at A&M and then obviously playing for the Cowboys and then as the head coach, briefly for the Miami Dolphins, the interim head coach. But I just think a lot of him. And I've always thought that he would make a great head coach. And I think he showed that last year. And the players bought in to what he's trying to sell. And by the way, he's not here this week. He got sick. I don't know if it's COVID or, or not COVID, but he's sick and not here. So you saw the picture of the coaches that everybody tweeted out. There were 28 coaches in the picture. Belichick is here, but wasn't in the picture. Mike McCarthy's not here. Dan Campbell's not here. And I'm not sure. I haven't figured out yet who the other coach is who's not in the picture. So if anyone figures out who it is, you can tweet us at PFT and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out who, who's not else is in, in the picture. But I think all the other coaches are here. So Campbell ate a kneecap that didn't agree with him, apparently. And he stayed back <laughs> in Detroit. I'm That's here it. all week. And every week I'm here all week. Unfortunately, you're stuck with me. All right. The NFL taking care of some business today, too. Just one day after we reported last night that there will be two new plaintiffs added to the Brian Flores race discrimination lawsuit when the complaint is amended on April 8 and two new teams that will be specifically named as defendants with some allegations focused directly at the owners of those teams. Don't know who yet, but we will soon enough. The NFL trying to do its best to address the issues that it has with diversity in coaching. And one of the problems is there's no diversity in ownership. A statement issued today, and this is it in its entirety. It's short. It's just a couple of sentences. The NFL member clubs support the important goal of increasing diversity among ownership. Accordingly, when evaluating a prospective ownership group of a member club pursuant to league policies, the membership will regard it as a positive and meaningful factor if the group includes diverse individuals who would have a significant equity stake in and involvement with the club, including serving as the controlling owner of the club. That's good. Makes sense. In theory. End of the day, though. When it's time to sell a team, And this is one of the problems I have with NFL ownership generally, and it really crystallized for me earlier this year with some of the crap that's gone on. There's one characteristic that matters. Do you have the money? Are you the highest bidder? Can you make the current seller even richer than he or she already is? Who puts the best offer on the table with the Broncos, for example? It's a trust that's selling this team. They have a fiduciary obligation to get the maximum return. Doesn't matter if your ownership group is diverse. Doesn't matter if the people who are buying the team know anything about football. Doesn't matter if they'll be good stewards for the organization. All that matters is do they have the most money. Until those rules change, until that fundamental reality changes, none of this is going to change. You know what this is going to make a difference, Shereen? If you have two groups that are offering the same amount of money, that's where it's going to make a difference. And here's what's going to happen now. Every group is going to have, and, and, and maybe this is the best way for this to be turned into action. They're going to work to make sure if you want to be a viable bidder, unless you're ready to overspend and offer more than anyone else, if you want to be a viable bidder, you need to have diversity in your ownership group that you put together from the get-go. 
So maybe that's where this will have benefit. There will be more diversity in these groups. There will be diversity in every group. And maybe eventually there will be a controlling owner who is black. The problem is it's hard to find anybody at this point who's got the money to buy one of these teams. You're talking about 30% of the purchase price that you basically have to hand over in cash. You can only borrow up to a billion dollars. So you got to be able to get a bunch of other owners together unless you're going to buy the whole thing yourself. It, it's, it's not going to be easy. And if we end up with two or three or four black owners, is that really going to solve the problem if the issue is that the white owners are gravitating toward white coaches? It's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to take a little bite out of it at best. Well, and that, that was the Mar Smith's point of having a black owner may not change things. That doesn't necessarily fix the NFL's problem. The NFL has a bigger problem than that, that – you know, the, the other changes need to be made in mindset around the league, not just with one owner coming in. That's not going to change what's gone on in this league for a long time. Yeah, and look, here, here's the bottom line. They, they have a problem. It's been hiding in plain sight. The lawsuit that was filed by Brian Flores on February 1 is something that has yeah. been there. For anyone who was willing to, as a practical matter, trade in his career as an NFL head coach. Because we know how this goes. Ask Colin Kaepernick. Ask Brian Flores. Once you decide to stick your finger in the eye of Big Shield, you are persona non grata. They're always going to find a way to not hire you and hire somebody else. And they will spin whatever bullcrap narrative they want to justify it. And there's always plenty of people like us in the media who will pass that stuff along. Sometimes we realize we're being used and manipulated. Sometimes we don't realize we're being used and manipulated, but that's the way it goes. So Flores was the first, and I'm encouraged that two others are going to do it. I hope at the end of the day, every black coach who believes that he was wrongfully passed over for a head coaching job will line up and join this lawsuit because you know what, Shereen? They can't retaliate against all of them. That's it. They can't blackball all of them. They can't shun all of them. So hopefully that's where the truth will come out, and that's why I keep coming back to this idea that on one hand the NFL is saying, well, we're committed to change we're committed to growth we're committed to progress and then on the other hand they say but you know what that lawsuit that uh, open court mm -hmm. no no private private arbitration we'd like to we'd like to keep our dirty laundry away from prying eyes you can't have it both ways you can't say we got a problem we want to fix but you know what we're going to fix it on our own we don't need any outsiders telling us how bad it is or what we need to do about it. That is offensive to me that they're going to try to pull this off. And hopefully we'll keep banging that drum as this case unfolds. I know I plan to. Well, and thankfully, Mike Tomlin hired Brian Flores, too. And he's talked a lot about that this week, Mike. And, and it was good to see. And he said he didn't want to leave Brian Flores out there on an island. And let's, let's face it, Brian Flores is overqualified for the position he's in. He's going to help the Steelers. There's no question about that in the job that he's in. But he deserves to be a head coach in this league and probably will never get that chance again. But I'm glad, Mike, that he's getting to continue his career with, with Mike Tomlin. That, that's fantastic for him and fantastic for the, the Steelers. It's not so fantastic for Brian Flores, but at least he is getting to coach, which I know he loves to do. And, and this is an impressive breaking ranks type of a move by yeah. the Steelers because the Rooney family, very close to the Mara family, and the lawsuit against John Mara, against the Giants for not hiring Brian Flores, and Mara upset and not going to settle, and it's false claims, and, and now you got your close friend and common family member, Art Rooney, giving Brian Flores a job. I mean, it just shows you what the Steelers did here was, number one, the right thing to do. Number two, a bargain for them because they got a great coach to add to their staff. And number three, it required Art Rooney to be willing to have some awkward interactions at some point, inevitably, family interactions. Like, why are we, you know, John's kind of pissed, Art, that you did this. I'm sure that conversation is going to happen, even if, it, even if it isn't conjugated that way. Either John's kind of pissed or John could be pissed. or You know, it, it creates issues that people would rather not deal with. I applaud Art Rooney for dealing with it. The NFL also dealing with the issue of lack of diversity in coaching staffs by requiring a minority or female coach to work as an offensive assistant. And, you know, the I'm sorry, but I'm glad they're doing this. But the fact that they have to do it, doesn't it just show yeah. you how bad it is if you have to require them to do what they should be doing anyway? Yes. 
Absolutely, Mike. That's the whole point of you should be doing this. And I don't know if it's most, many teams do this, but, but they all should be doing this. And it's, it's obvious that not all of them have been doing this or they wouldn't have to put a rule in that, that makes them do this. So it's a one-year deal for whoever they hire and we'll see how this plays out. But Mike, they've tweaked this Rooney rule so many times and nothing has helped. It's a mindset. And until you change that mindset, nothing's going to change. And I don't know what the answer is, but they've tried everything. They've now they're doing another committee with a lot of outside people from outside the NFL. And now they're trying this. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't have the answers, but the NFL certainly doesn't have the answers either. You know what they should do? If they really want to try to fix this problem and create more opportunities for minority coaches and candidates, at least for now, at least for now, I'm not saying that this needs to be permanent, but they should at least for now say, hey, you know what? No kids of coaches get employed by any team. Dad's the head coach. Dad's doing pretty well. Kid can go find some other line of work because this nepotism is one of the things that's causing a lot of these jobs to go to people that don't necessarily deserve them. You can't tell me that these – and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's, and here's why it happens. It's a very simple explanation. There's two reasons for it, Shereen. Number one, owners have their kids working for the team. So it's hard for the owners to feel that they're not being hypocritical if they don't like coaches hire coaches. But that's where you need to be able to sit down with the coach and say, hey, look, I own the team. I'm going to die someday. I'd rather have my kid take over the business than sell it. So I'm trying to teach my kids how to run this thing. We own it. You don't. You may think you do, but you don't. You work for me. And your kid works for me, unless I say you can't hire your kid. And these owners, I don't know if they allow themselves to get bullied by the coaches or the circumstances or what into thinking that it's, it's, it's not hypocritical. There's a fundamental difference between ownership and being an employee. And secondly... The coaches like to do it because this is the cats in the cradle redemption. This is dad was gone all the time. Dad was never around. Mom raised the kids. Dad's at work, sleeping in the office three nights a week. And now all of a sudden kid grows up. My boys, just like me, you know, I'm not going to sing it, but they, you know, it's, and, and Hey, come work with dad. And we get to be together 20 hours a day. Now we make up for all that lost time. I've had a coach explain that to me, that that's why it happens. It's an opportunity to reconnect with a kid that you don't really know, and you're together all the time. So I understand why it happens. But every one of those, as long as the coaches are predominantly white, every one of those jobs that go out on a basis of nepotism are going to go to white coaches. So I'm saying it doesn't have to be permanent, but at some point, if they stop that, at least temporarily, it does create opportunities for people who aren't going to have an inside track to the job because they're a DNA match for the current head coach. Anyway. Well, and it, and it happens all over the league, Mike. You're exactly right. And, and that is the reason it happens. I've had coaches tell, tell me that as well, that they didn't get to spend enough time with their kid growing up. And now they get to have their kid have time with their, their kid that they didn't know growing up. And they get to get to know them and really meet them for the first time, to be around them all the time. So they like that and, and feel like they're doing a good thing. But it do, isn't a good thing, I don't think, long term for the league. There is a benefit to it, though. You look at a guy like Kyle Shanahan, who grew up around it, isn't freaked out by it, understood it, got an advanced degree in football just by being around. And so it's 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 a it's a it's a tough situation. And that's why. And and I, you know, I don't know. And it would probably be an antitrust violation if the league took the position that if your dad is the head coach of one team, none of the other teams could hire the kids. But. They, they, they just need to be cognizant of it, and they need to be willing to continue to address and decide based on merit. At a minimum, you can't hire your own kids. But see, what happens is then Bill Belichick will hire somebody else's kid, and then the other – and yeah, that's right. That's what will happen. And I think that does happen to a certain extent. But it's not an easy, it's not an easy fix, but it's definitely part of the problem as it relates to yeah. who's getting opportunities to grow and develop within the broader football industry. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we're going to take a look at who got worse as a result of trades made during this offseason. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Oh, no, Julian Edelman, you didn't do it. Oh, no, Julian. Oh, no. I've seen a bunch of him today. That one's pretty good. Oh, no. Shereen, do you think that was staged? 
I don't think it was stage. Miles said he thought it was stage. I said no. I don't think it was. What do you think? I go back and forth on it because it had the desired effect. Number one, it's Hollywood. Everything in Hollywood is staged. Number two, it breathes life now into the Oscars because next year we'll watch. We'll want to see Chris Rock walk out with a football helmet on. We'll want to see what happens next, right? We'll want to see how they deal with it. It'll be a lot of talk, a lot of hype. Sims said he doesn't think it was staged because Chris Rock isn't a good enough actor to pull it off. (laughs) That's good. He really really did play bewildered very well and thrown off and he didn't have a comeback he didn't have a remark you know we were joking today about different things he could have said it and if he would have had a really witty reply it would have maybe looked like it was staged he he acted the way you would think if he had no idea it was coming i think will smith knew he was going to do it i think will smith had decided he says anything about my wife i'm going to go up there i there's got to be a backstory with those two that we don't know about so uh maybe it'll come out in time all right more important matters, at least for our purposes. Teams that got worse after a trade they made this offseason. There are a lot to choose from, Shereen. I'll give you the first pick. I'm going to start with Seattle. I think that's the obvious one, Mike. You trade Russell Wilson for Drew Locke. I just don't think that's makes you a better football team. Maybe in the long run, when they get the picks, if they use those well, okay. But you're talking about a guy that's made 21 starts. His team went 8-13 and 13 in those 21 starts. 25 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. And we know what Russell Wilson did for the Seahawks, the greatest player in team history. So that to me did not make the Seattle Seahawks better. I'll start with the green Bay Packers, getting Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers back, trading Devontae Adams, consciously making your receiving core worse. And then on top of it, not getting Marquez Valdez Scantling re-signed before you trade Devontae Adams, even though you know, you're going to, that to me is a disaster for the Packers. Sims believes it makes them playoff contender, removes them from being Super Bowl contender in the NFC. So Packers got worse by doing that trade, and they're going to have to go out and reach on a receiver and hope that when he shows up, Aaron Rodgers doesn't say, where the hell did you get this guy? Yeah, no doubt, Mike. And you look what Devontae did over the last two years, all pro, 11 touchdowns and 18 touchdowns. I don't know how you replace that. You don't. You don't, unless you get Randy Moss. That's the only way you do it. And I don't know that there's a Randy Moss. And, you know, there's plenty of great receivers. You're going to roll the dice, though. You may get the guy that becomes the Nikhil Harry. I've said about the Cowboys, 2019, they could have had Debo Samuel. They could have had DK Metcalf. They could have had A.J. Brown. They also could have had Nikhil Harry. So there's no guarantee that that you're going to get a guy who can come in and get it done. That's exactly right, Mike. And you look at their roster now with the receivers they have, and I can't imagine that Aaron Rodgers is pleased with where they are uh, now at that receiver position. And they just there's no free agents out there that you'd really want in your roster either that's going to come in and help to replace Devontae Adams, who's one of the top three receivers in the game. And there's been some talk about them trading for DK Metcalf. Look, they didn't even look in the direction of Tyree Kill. Yeah. This goes against what they're doing when they when they build their roster, and I, I'm, I'm just surprised by it. All right, give me another team that's gotten worse as a result of a trade they've made. Well, I'm going to go with the Chiefs simply because I think, again, Tyree Kill is one of the top three receivers in football, and I just have a feeling, and I said this the other day, Mike, that this could end up being a lose-lose trade for both Tyree Kill and the Chiefs because I think Tyree Kill is going to miss Patrick Mahomes, and I think Patrick Mahomes is going to miss Tyree Kill. I know who they have at the receiver position now. They have Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling. But those guys are not Tyreek Hill. I mean, he just takes the top off of a defense. And I don't see either one of those receivers doing that. So, to me, they the Chiefs got worse. And everybody else in their division has gotten better this offseason. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons yeah. two weeks ago. Matt Ryan's their quarterback. They had restructured his contract unless they hadn't. And my understanding is that the team's position is that was a false report by NFL media, partially owned by the Atlanta Falcons, about the restructuring. I don't know that I buy that. But they don't do the restructuring. They trade Matt Ryan after they don't get Deshaun Watson. They have Marcus Mariota as their starter now. They got a third-round pick for Matt Ryan, a cornerstone of the team since 2008. They have definitely gotten worse. And you can't help but wonder whether or not they're deliberately – accepting that everything but the $100,000 offer for each loss to Arthur Smith as they try to tank for 2022. I don't know how else you explain going from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota and only getting a third round pick to do it, Shereen. 
Well, and the quarterback draft next year, Mike, looks even better than this year. So maybe that's the plan. Maybe that is the plan to tank and get one of those quarterbacks next year. And you're in better shape because Matt Ryan is, what, 37 now? So you were going to have to start over at that position anyway sometime soon. So maybe this gets you a head start on that if you're really bad this year. Let's take a break so we can get to some questions from the PFTPM mailbag. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. I have not any intention to move the team. If I did, I would tell you about it, okay? That is Robert Ursay, March 28, 1984. And there goes, it's a lot of snow in Baltimore in late March of 1984. The Mayflower moving van leaving under the cover of darkness for Indianapolis. See you later, Baltimore. There go the Colts. That was 38 years ago today. 38 years. Wow. Good God, we're old. And I All remember right. that. Let's answer some questions. I remember it too. I was a yeah. freshman in college. How about you? Yeah, same. Freshman in college. Don't won't forget That's... them moving. And you know what, Mike? That's kept him. Uh, kept Art Modell moving his team has kept him out of the Hall of Fame and potentially Ursay out of the Hall of Fame just because they moved their Ursay. teams. Got that team trading the Rams for the Colts straight up with Carol Rosenblum in the early 70s. Yeah. Uh, traded the franchises. Unbelievable. All right. Mike Morrell, instead of Matt Ryan, would the Colts have been better off with someone younger like Baker Mayfield or Jimmy G? What do you think, Shereen? I don't know. They're all about the same quarterback. I mean, Matt Ryan's at the end of his career, as we know, but he is a former MVP of the league. He started a Super Bowl. I think he's more established than those Three guys of those three guys, he has a better resume. But if you're talking about the future, it's just what we were talking about with the Colts. They keep getting these bridge quarterbacks. He's another bridge quarterback, whether it's a year or two years. He doesn't have much time left. So if they wanted to develop for the future, potentially they probably would have been better off with one of those other guys. But I think to the extent that they want to go all in and try to go grab the brass ring with what yes. they have and compete in a very Matt difficult Ryan's conference, a better guy. That's that's the move to make. A.D. Lang X, and this is a topic we already addressed, but I want to add one point here. The question is, what if the NFL instituted a ban on nepotism in the hiring of coaches? We just kind of spontaneously went into that neighborhood. But I do want to say one thing, because I got an email from somebody saying, hey, you're a hypocrite because your kid works for NFL Network. I'm not related to that guy. I don't know who that guy is. He's a fantasy football guy. He's got the same name. At least he uses his middle initial. He's no relation to me. I don't know him from Adam, so it's not a case of nepotism. Now, my son eventually may take over PFT, but I own it. That's different. I got to give it to somebody at some point. It's either my kid or my dog. You choose. All right, Dr. (laughs) J144. Yeah, Macy may take over. If you were a Steeler or a Seahawks fan, would you be satisfied with the current quarterback situation there, Shereen? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think the Steelers are better off than the Seahawks, but I don't think they're in good shape, Mike. And like we said, if they got Baker Mayfield and have four choices out of those quarterbacks, I would like their situation better than what they have right now. The Seahawks, I don't know what they're going to do, but I, again, I cannot imagine Drew Locke being the starting quarterback of that team on day one. At least with the Steelers, I can say they've got an incredibly good defense. Mitchell Trubisky may even be better than Ben Roethlisberger last year, who was a shell of himself. He's got some mobility. If you use him the right way, maybe you can make it work. You have Najee Harris. You've got Chase Claypool. You've got an offensive line that maybe could improve this year. You can maybe be a playoff team with Mitchell Trubisky. With the Seahawks, I look at it and I say, what are you, what are you doing? What, are you tanking? It makes no sense. What the Seahawks are currently doing makes no sense whatsoever. Surely they have a plan, Shireen. I don't know what it is. Well, we It'll reveal it itself is. maybe in the first round of the draft. I don't know, but uh, we'll continue to watch them and all the other news in the NFL. Shereen, have fun tonight at the reception. Tell all the oligarchs I said hello. We'll see you tomorrow morning on PFT Live. <laughs> at Delta, we know Mike and HC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.